0: We haven't had a great response, have we, to us coming up. Have you noticed they're completely silent? uh, Don't worry about it. It's all good. Do you want to go to the Feathered Fish? Yeah, let's go to the pub. Apparently they've got a back door. Let's go to the pub. You can just go. Good evening. Are you alive? Stand up and shake your bottoms, just a moment, come on, have wow. just a wriggle, just stand up, just seriously stand up, need a bit of energy in the room, stand up, just sort of kind you of go, rub whichever bit of the brain you're meant to rub, I said brain, rub whichever bit of the brain you're meant to rub to wake up your head, You um. tap your neighbour gently on their head, you know. You didn't, you didn't
1: see this, but as soon as you mentioned the idea, your daughter gave you the most incredible eye roll <laughs> that I've seen in my work, it's great, no, more of that. Good
0: evening everyone. My name is Andrew and. uh, My name's Tim. This is Tim. He he has to wear a badge so he knows, yeah. Yeah,
1: Yeah. sorry, I forgot my lanyard.
0: It actually says, Hi, I'm Tim. I forgot my lanyard. Yes. Tim, what are we about tonight?
1: Um, We are, uh, if you've just joined us or you're not quite sure what's going on, um, we're sort of in a bit of a teaching series around big questions. Um, So a couple of weeks ago we sort of uh, canvassed some questions um, from people on Instagram I think um, from other places and so uh, what we're talking about tonight and last week and the next coming weeks uh, are some, not all, but some of those questions. Um, So tonight we're just exploring about well the Bible, like what is it? It's a few questions really. What is it? Can we trust it? Um, Why should we listen to it? Um, and how can we read it? And so those are a couple of questions that we're going to answer tonight. Um, but if you have any questions yourself, um, then uh, here's, here's my number. Um, you can text in your questions. Now, if you're like, oh, I don't want to know, I don't want to be known about who, you know, I don't want Tim to know I've asked the question. Like, if I don't have your number saved in my phone, which is most of you, I won't know who it's from. Um, so if you've got any questions as we talk... Um, about anything to do with the Bible, please send it in. Uh, otherwise, that portion of this point in the night is going to be super awkward. So, please send in a question about anything that we're talking about tonight, and um, and we'll seek to answer it and clarify it. Um, so, that's what we're doing.
0: Now, pretty obviously, we can't in any of the talks that we're doing. Um, we did one last week. Um, what was the topic? I was on it, was that? Oh yes, do all, all religions, Hills was speaking in the evening, do all religions lead to heaven? Uh, we've got this one tonight, we've got another one about science and, and faith and, you know, how do we... Re- put those together. Um, we've got one coming up about identity and sexuality, that's in July and we've got some other great ones as well, which I can't remember right now. Um, in, these, in these times that we have together, uh, as we're family together, it's obviously impossible for us to cover all that you could cover on any of these topics. Tonight, we're, you know, we'll try, if you send in some questions, we'll, we'll do our best. Um, we'll, we'll send you to someone who knows the answer. Um, we'll do our best. But, but I suppose there's a couple of things that, as a church family, uh, and I said this in the morning last week, we're really just wanting to be upfront about. Um, we don't have to be scared, we don't have to be concerned and worried about the big questions that you've got in your minds and that people out in Cheltenham, Gloucester, beyond, wherever watching online have got and that's one of the things that we just want to kind of be demonstrating in a way as a church family as we as we go through this series. Now that's not the same as saying that we know or believe that we've got all the answers. You know I've shared before I've been following Jesus for quite a few years now and my number of questions has only grown. But the heart of my my faith, my trust in God, has also grown with those questions and, and actually holding those questions. And so part of why we're doing this series is to say that you can get the impression and maybe you feel a bit this like this in a, a workplace or at college, uni, school, wherever. You can feel, especially in a, in, a, in a place where there's a lot of concern about people not feeling imposed upon, you know, don't, don't impose your view on other people. Um, we can feel quite sort of constrained and almost scared, I think, of, of big questions really saddens me that sometimes when surveys are done, people sort of say, well, the last place I would take that question, even ones about God, is to church. Because people would judge me or feel I'm a hypocrite. Maybe you feel that like in your life group, if you're part of the heart of our church family and you're a member of a life group. And, and you maybe there are questions you don't dare ask because you think this is just going to blow everything up. Sadly, I'm old enough to have quite a few friends who've, you know, started as followers of Jesus with me and uh, their faith turned out to just be kind of quite brittle. And as soon as they went to uni or they went into life or something happened in life, which was a challenge to their kind of simple faith, you know, they just sort of felt the whole thing broke apart. And And we don't want that. We really don't want that. So just be confident be confident that questions are good. Questions always take us further. Nine times out of ten, Jesus asked a question. If you read the Bible, he asked a question. He didn't just, you know, give a a little sermon. So let's be really comfortable about about questions. So tonight we're, we're on the Bible. Now, listen, I have got the... If anyone would like to learn to speak French... I have got the most amazing resource. It's at home. Um, we've got a little book, you know, area, and it's this amazing resource. It's basically got a set of DVDs, um, and it's got um, a whole series of little guidebooks that go with the DVDs. Um, and, you know, it's got like if you're going to the restaurant, and you know, here's some stuff you use. You listen to it on the DVD. It, it goes through exactly how to speak, and then it's got this guidebook that you can use. It's got kind of like common scenarios that you might find. So listen, if if you you're going on holiday this year and you're going to go to France and you'd like to learn French, I'd be so happy to lend you the best ever resource on how to speak French. You'll have to take the wrapping off it, because I've never actually opened it. But that's what it tells me. I believe it's the best ever resource. You know, there's a few people who are followers of Jesus who want other people to take this book seriously seriously Who don't take it seriously themselves. So, kind of where we are tonight is hoping you're going to go away. Just having a a couple of thoughts about a couple of things. And we'll sort of come back to those a bit later on. What's your level of expectancy with this Bible? What do you you really think you've got in in your hands? I mean, for a start, do you think you've just got one book? In your hands or are you aware that you've got a whole library of books in in your hands do, do you have that sense do you know that about about scripture do you, do you know that um for example if i was to try and tell you about a historical figure and i i gave you a textbook about that historical figure that would kind of tell you a whole load of stuff about them wouldn't it if i then said okay here's um here's a biography of this amazing historical figure. You could, you could read that biography. But, but what if I gave you that person's diary? If, if I gave you their journal, if I gave you their most intimate thoughts? So you had the, the textbook about them, you had the, uh, the biography about them, but you also had in your hands their diary, their journal, I wonder if anyone here does a diary, does a journal. If someone read it, they'd get such an insight into you, wouldn't they? You're probably kind of going, oh, please don't ever let anyone read my journal. Because that's the point. And you see, friends, this is what we've got here right in our hands. You want to know God. You want to know truth. And of course, that's a, that's a much debated thing. Is there, is there such a thing as truth? Well, as a follower of Jesus, Christians, we believe that there is truth. Because we be- believe the author of truth, the foundation of truth, has spoken and gives us this library. And it's got some stuff in it that's a bit textbooky. And, and that's quite helpful if you want to know some, some technical things about what it means to be God. And what it means to be someone who says, I want to know God and I want to love God and follow God and that's pretty helpful. It's got some biographies in here. Um, It's got some stuff that we find quite difficult to read because they're, they're biographies of what did happen, history, not actually what should have happened. So they're a bit difficult sometimes for us, especially in the Old Testament, where we're, when we're reading about how the history worked its way out. We're not reading, this is what God wanted, but we are reading, this is what happened and this is what God did about it. We've got four biographies, we call them Gospels because they're a genre of writing, a style of writing all in their own, about Jesus, haven't we? We've got four different perspectives Biographies on Jesus, but most importantly, friends, because the Bible says, one of Jesus' followers, Timothy, writing, says that this is God-breathed. I I don't know who wrote that French guide that I've never bothered to open. I do believe it's pretty good, (laughs) but it's not the same as being God-breathed. So you see if I was a Muslim I might believe that the Quran was dictated and then I'd actually have a problem for example in those bits in the Quran and some of you who know more about Islam than I do will know this there's a bit of a problem when you get one bit of the Quran that disagrees with another bit of the Quran what you have to do is believe that the later written bit must be correct that's how you'd work it out but you see I I don't believe this was dictated word for word but I do believe It was God-breathed. By that, I mean that it was inspired in in the women and the men who wrote these words. And there were lots of them over a long period of time. I believe that God was speaking. God was whispering into their ear and into their hearts. And I believe that when I read it, the same God, the same Holy Spirit that inspired it being written, then inspires it as I read it as I listen and as I meet the person who it's talking about. Just one bit of scripture. We worship a God who is speaking. At Christmas we celebrated the word made flesh, the word proclamation made flesh. Here's here's someone writing thousands of years ago called Isaiah. Isaiah. A voice of one calling in the desert. This is speaking about the prophet. Prepare the way for the Lord. There's this calling. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Our God is calling. And when Jesus, at the beginning of Mark, we read, this is the beginning of the good news about Jesus. And it quotes the same thing. It says, I'll send my messenger ahead of you. I'll send my messenger ahead of you our God is a God who speaks you want to hear him then this is what he's given to us Tim that's the kind of heart stuff but there's some stuff about this amazing library of books that that actually helps us think about it kind of like from a slightly more technical perspective about why why could we trust it I mean how do we even know what we're reading now if I, I've just read that bit was what was written what was recorded all those thousands of years ago
1: yeah great great question my um my wife Melissa um, when she plays the game two truths and one lie is amazing because she has this truth that she has that no one believes and it's this But when she was 16, President Obama invited her to the White House. Wow. It's true. Do you remember the ash cloud in Iceland? Do you remember that? So she was on a school trip to America. She happened to be in Washington. This ash cloud in Iceland erupted and it grounded flights for two weeks and her school was stuck in America and President Obama heard about it and invited her and her class to the White House amazing. So she plays this game, two truths and a lie, and she always wins, because no one guesses that it's true, ever. But what clarifies the truth is it's not just her experience. There was 50 other people that could tell the same story from a different perspective. It's the amount of stories that amount to being true. And in our society, people talk about Being post truth, right? So, your truth is your truth, and my truth is my truth, and we agree to disagree. But what you can't disagree with in a post truth world is somebody else's personal experience. And so, when it comes to the Bible, it's not just one person that's been inspired by God to write it down, but it's a lot of people. And not only that, but because it's a really old document, there's, um, it, has, it didn't get onto the w- World Wide Web. They had to write it down on what people call ancient manuscripts. So either on papyrus or, um, what was the other one? Papyrus
0: um, and... Papyri. Something um, or other. Anyway. goatskin.
1: Goatskin, yeah. Cowskin. Another I don't one begin with P. Anyway, they wrote it down on this ancient parchment. There Parchments, it is. Parchment, yes. Parchment and papyrus. <laughs> now, it wasn't the only man, like the ancient manuscript that existed, right? So um, there were other thinkers that were around at the time of biblical authors, people that thought long and hard about life, and people whose thoughts still influence today's society. So here's here's a few of one person's thoughts. Um, Here's one. Wise men talk because they have something to say. Fools because they have to say something. We'd all agree with that in some way, wouldn't we? That was written thousands of years ago by a guy called Plato. Ever heard of Plato? Here's another one of Plato's thoughts. People are like dirt. They can either nourish you and help you grow as a person, or they can stunt your growth and make you wilt and die. Again, a quote from Plato, written thousands of years ago. And if you went and studied philosophy, there might be some of you in the room tonight that are studying philosophy and ethics, or you're, um, you do it in RE at school or at sixth form, you read about Plato and his writings that he was being taught by a guy called Socrates. And these were written down lots and lots of years ago, longer if not than the bible that we have today but here's here's the thing the accuracy of a of an ancient manuscript relies on really two things one how many copies were made and also two what was the distance the time that had gone by from when the first writings occurred and the copy occurred later so if plato it's known that there are less than 10 ancient manuscripts that we use today in order to teach people about Plato's thinking. Okay, And the earliest that we think we have or that we've been able to access is 1,500 years after Plato first wrote his thinking down. 1,500 years. With the Bible... There aren't less than 10 ancient manuscripts. There are 24,000 ancient manuscripts that we've been able to use to create or bring together what we have here called the Holy Bible. And the earliest manuscript that we've been able to read and decipher and put together wasn't 1,500 years after the things that happened in the Bible, but around 24 years So we have ancient manuscripts that amount to more than something like Plato and have been written down sooner after the events took place. Does that make sense? Basically, it means that we can have confidence in this thing. We can trust it. There might still be questions that we have, but we can trust it. A scholar called F.F. Bruce says this. There is no body of ancient literature in the world which enjoys such a wealth of good textual attestation as the New Testament. I love scholars. They use language. I haven't got a clue what it means. But what he's saying is, a man who learns more than I do, um, is that it's accurate and we can trust it. Yes, we might have questions about it and what it means for our society and how we live today, but we can trust it.
0: I don't know whether it was parchment or papyrus. I've forgotten now. I've been put off by this amazing, amazing man with this attestation. But... Um Just to give you one kind of more flavour, so as as Tim has just described there, with the science of literary criticism, literary analysis, you've got the number of copies, the earliest copy, what the gap is between the two, as part of why we trust that what we're reading is what was written. But just one more illustration, When, when the Bible was first being written out, Um, and translated into Latin, and then copies were being made. The monks who did that copying were working on parchment, um, and um, if they made a mistake, because they're only so long, if they made a mistake on a word, they had to restart the whole of that parchment, however far they'd got. If they made a mistake on the word God they had to start again, the whole thing. Can you imagine you get to Revelation and you misspell God and you've got to start the whole thing? There's a preciousness about how this, this library of books has been preserved by people of faith and passed on. Do you want a bit more proof for that? Well, you'd iron out the difficult bits, wouldn't you? If you were wanting to kind of shape this holy book and make it a bit more palatable, along the way, you would change some of the more difficult bits, the bits that that challenge me as I try and think about stuff, wouldn't you? But what we've got is so God's word being passed down, inspired into people, men, women, over thousands of years, and then passed on down to us. But it's more than that, isn't it? And, and, and this brings us again right into the, the room and into our lives now, as I was trying to describe with my French thing. Because the kind of proof we have for the, the accuracy and the trustworthiness of this, as, as Tim was saying, the gap between things being written, uh, between events happening and them being written, is, is really incredibly short. So with the Gospels and with the New Testament letters, the New Testament letters were written first because they were written, you know, to baby Christians about the faith. It's thought that there were the sayings of Jesus were being passed around by followers of Jesus really very quickly. That was a a tradition in, in the Jewish faith, in rabbinic teaching, that you would write down the sayings of the teacher and you'd pass them on. So the thought is that that existed very early, but the Gospels, the accounts of Jesus' life, come just that little bit later but the point is there were still people who could remember there were people who had families who'd been there they'd okay maybe it had passed on down some generations but there would have been people able to say no that just did not happen that way and the point is there were people who lived out the truth They they lived out these words. They demonstrated that these words are just not words on a piece of paper. They are God-breathed in the writing and they're God-breathed in the hearing because of the way they impacted on people's lives. And that's still the same today. If we want to know if this is God's truth speaking to us, then we can see the impact that it has on our lives. There was a a famous prime minister who said it's dynamite in people's people's lives when they read the Bible and read it with expectancy and and belief. Is that where where you are? Because because if you come to this book with a kind of culture of suspicion then you're not gonna read it in the way that you would read a journal or a diary of someone you really want to get to know. Your heart's not gonna be open. Please hear me, that's not saying that you have to park your brain, you have to park your questions. But it is saying that the way we come to something has an impact about how we can hear what we're, what we're reading. I certainly find when I talk to people who are brave enough and have faith to be atheists that one of their hardest challenges is why there are so many Christians still around. We should have just died out, but we haven't. So there are some things just to share. There's more you could read about the kind of trustworthiness. But but Tim. Let's give these guys a a couple of moments just to chat to each other and see if your phone will buzz with any questions. Just have a chat to your neighbour. You might want to move, you know, not what do you think of us so far. But anything we've said that's kind of prompted you, are you brave enough, bold enough to say that maybe the way you're reading your Bible or not reading your Bible could be a truth? You got any, uh, you know, is it a bit like that French language course sitting on the uh, bedside table unopened? You're sure it's good? but you've never listened to it. And just do, have a quick chat. If you have got
1: questions, just text the them in. They've got a couple coming in already. Um, numbers on the screen.
0: So, so, Tim, before they uh, switch off the music and uh, put us back on the mics, let's work out, Howie. So, thanks for all the questions that have come in. Um, thank you so much. Here are the answers. Yes, maybe. Pizza. S- pizza. Speak to Tim Grew. <laughs> There's a great book on the bookstall. Mm, depends. So, thanks very much for those questions. I hope that's been... Uh, Really helpful, really helpful for you. Should <laughs> we do one? Let's take one. Let's take one, Tim. Pick one. Pick one. Pick out.
1: one right now.
0: Pick one right now. Um, I can't do the one about Love Island because I have no idea. <laughs>
1: um, okay, so is, is the Bible 100% true in every way?
0: Oh, great question. Great question. So um, pretty obviously there are bits in the Bible where you've got inconsistencies. You've got things where it says something about something and then seems to say something slightly different. So you've got inconsistencies um, in, those, in those kinds of ways. You've got even things that might look like they're, they're contradictions. Um, but again, it comes back to what I was saying a moment or two ago about what you're understanding about, about truth what you're understanding about where the particular writing is, is pointing, us, pointing us to. Um, you certainly have to take a lot of account of the genre of the writing, the style of the writing. really obvious example, if I gave you a World War I poem... And I also gave you a World War I, uh, a newspaper from World War I describing the same battle that the poem is written about. And if I gave you a first-hand account from someone who had been in the trenches, you'd get very different perspectives coming through those, very different languages coming through those. You might get apparent contradictions. You might get the poet saying, you know, it was... Lasting at night, when we all stood up and went rushing out into the into the field, the newspaper might say it was five forty in the morning. The um, other other account, I can't remember which one I said, might give a different a different time. The question would be whether those things are pointing to the truth, whether they're revealing truth to you. That would be your your question, wouldn't it? Um, and there are certainly things in Scripture which. Um, I've had to decide, you know, I, I think there's a decision, isn't there? Is there a decision about, because this thing looks like, you know, I can't reconcile it, do I then sort of chuck everything out about God and everything else about the Bible? Or do I hold this? For years, for example, archaeologists said that Nineveh couldn't be where the Bible says that Nineveh is. For years they said that. And then lo and behold, whenever it was 20, 30 years ago, someone found the ancient city of Nineveh, in the place where the Bible says it is. So, hope that's kind of bits of answer. I'm not. I'm not going to stand and pretend. You know, as I say, the kind of there are inconsistencies. There are things that it's a challenge to work out how to reconcile them together. I don't believe that's the same as saying not true. Okay, one more. Um, one for you, I think, Timothy.
1: Oh gosh. Uh, some of these are really hard to answer. Yeah, um, that's the point, I think. I know. You know. We're meant
0: to be modelling, but it's okay to My mum's
1: texted me to say that she's out <laughs> with my dad watching Lord of the Dance. <laughs> so that threw me off. <laughs> I didn't realise Michael Flatley was still going.
0: Oh, I love it. What have we got? Yeah, someone asked about relevance today. We probably sort of kind of said that, but, um, y- you know, I suppose let, let's, get, let's get into this. It leads us into the next bit. We'll try and come back to some of this relevance you mm. know um are we are we just studying this book of you know this library to know the correct answers uh, i mean is it is mm. the deal it, you know i've been following jesus since i was 13 i'm nearly 59 someone did the maths you know is, is the answer Old. that if you're younger and you've not been following jesus as long um you know you kind of got to get to, what what's the relevance of this book is it really relevant oh. someone someone <laughs> asked about love island you know is 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 this book relevant?
1: Yeah, I mean, if you're looking for somewhere in the Bible that says you're allowed to watch Love Island, you're not going to find it, right? It's just, it's just not there. Um, but I think when it, when it comes to reading Scripture, we have to be, as, as followers of Jesus, we have to be really careful um, because it, we either do one of two things. One, we try and fit the way in which the world is and and basically say, well, this is how the world is, and this is what the Bible says. So therefore, the Bible's wrong, because the world's like this, and the Bible was written ages ago. And, and that, in theological terms, is what's called poor hermeneutics. Hermeneutics being the way in which we interpret Scripture. That, that's not a great way of interpreting Scripture to go. Well, this is this is what the world says about X, Y, and Z, and so therefore, because the Bible says something different than. The Bible's wrong. What we should be doing, and it's not—it's easier said than done—is to go. Okay, well, this is what the world is, and this is what's going on in the world. What does the Bible say, and how does it, like, speak to where the world is wrong? How how does what the scriptures say put that in a right place, back into shape? Um, so, in terms of—is it relevant? I, I would say yes, it is relevant, but there's a job that we have to do to, to work out, well what is it saying about this? What is it saying about gender? What is it saying about sexuality? What What is it saying um, about abortion? What is it saying about racism? What does it say about politics? What does it say about integrity? Um, so I think, yeah, it is relevant, but it's, it's not always easy. It's not always going to, you know, tell us directly how to live all the time. And so I think that's where we can get kind of stuck maybe sometimes because it's like, well, how, how do it, I navigate this It really this comes, one?
0: doesn't it, Tim, for me, certainly it comes to this whole thing about do I believe it is the living word of God? So yeah, it's, it's, it's certainly dressed up in its clothes, and those clothes have got different genres to them, different styles of writing, and some of them are quite uh, alien to me. They're not a way that I would speak or a way that, uh, that I would write. But again, my question is, do I, do I feel and believe and have the expectancy that it's God's living word? And do I see evidence of that in other people? That's a critical thing. I'm I'm not looking at the, the words on the page in themselves. I'm also seeing their impact on others. Do I see this book impacting on other people's lives? When Nikki and I do the Dating Well seminar this week, we're going to be making the point, you know, you're not going to be able to turn out to page 563 and work out whether your particular, you know, this relationship is the right one or not, or look up on page 746 to find out the name of the person that you're going to, you know, potentially marry. It just doesn't work like that. There are some things in the Bible where it's specific and direct and as Tim says, if we don't like what it says, we have to sit there, I think, for a moment saying, why would God say this? Rather than just simply reject. Why would God say this? What, if God's got my best for me, what, what's my best in this? Um, and then there's the general will of God. So sometimes we talk about the specific will of God being expressed through scripture. Um, but, but then there's the general will of God that as we read the Bible, we discern God's will for our lives, God's best. And the thing is, we have Jesus. We have Jesus. So if you want your hermeneutical lens, your, your way of looking, your way of interpreting, your way of trying to say, okay, if this is what it meant then, or was the first thing to do, what did it mean to the people at the time when it was written? You've got to do that first before you then do the hermeneutical jump of saying, what could it mean now? You've got to do the first bit before you do the second bit. Sometimes Christians don't do that, and that's when people try and proof text, and it's just rubbish. It's not how God wants us to work. It's not how the Holy Scripture leads us in wisdom. So what did it mean when it was written? What was the intention of the person or people writing it first in order then to work out and then ask the question for the Holy Spirit, what could it mean now? But in doing that, we have Jesus The whole of the Old Testament, the first part of our Bibles, is pointing towards Jesus, is anticipating Jesus. That's why when I'm reading the tough bits about, you know, lots of people getting killed, I'm kind of thinking to myself, well, that can't be what God desired. It is what happened And God still somehow spoke in grace into it. God still somehow told a bigger love story than the rubbish of what people did because of Jesus. How can I see Jesus in the Old Testament and then with the New Testament, I've always got the lens of Jesus to look through? How does this match up with what I know as a follower of Jesus to be the Word made flesh. And that's a brilliant thing that God has gifted to us, the lens of Jesus. But, but Tim, there are lots of rules in this. You can't get away from it. What's that about? How do you kind of, you know, as a young, active person still, um, No. <laughs> what do you make of, you know, is this, is this a rule book? What, what's going on? How, how do you sort of have that sense of things? I think
1: um, the way I kind of grapple with this idea of "Gosh, are these rules or not, and should I do, should I follow what it says or not?" Um, I think for me, it all comes if, if Jesus is the relational aspect and helps us to work out what's going on. Then ultimately, it comes down to the point of: Do I trust Jesus? Do I trust God that He wants the best for me, or not? Um, When I was younger, I went on holiday to Portsmouth. I was about five years old. And um, in Portsmouth, uh, there was this sort of part of the promenade that I was walking down that had these um, sort of steel fence about yay high with like, you know, poles that were about this far apart. And there was these beyond beyond the gate or beyond the the fence, the steel fence on the shoreline, there was these people on a jet ski. And I'd never seen one before, and I wanted a closer look. So guess what I did? I put my head through the steel bars. And um, my mum told me not to do it. The steel bars told me not to do it, because they were this, and my head. And I got stuck. I got a closer look, but I got stuck, right? And and ultimately, there was a question in that moment, like, did I trust the boundary that was put in place or not? And there's complete permission in some respects for me to push past that boundary. But what's beyond that boundary is pain, is discomfort, is difficulty. Yeah, it might feel fun because you get a closer look, but in reality, it's just annoying. And I was stuck there for a... I don't know how long, and we, i am mean, out, right? Um, <laughs> um, so, sorry to ruin the end of the story. Um, so, I think that's kind of—that's how I resolve it in my mind—is that ultimately it comes down to a point of trust. Like, do do I trust what what this 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 word says? Do I trust that these words were inspired by God, who created the world? He knitted me in my mother's womb, and he knows what's best for me, not me. So do I trust it, and am I willing to stay within the boundaries that he sets? Now, there is complete free will and permission to step beyond the boundary, but what lives beyond the boundary? Speak to people in the room about their own experience.
0: Thanks, Tim. We were asked the question about interpretation, which is linked to that, of course, because sometimes if we've got God's specific will and it's clear, then we can, we can, I hope, have this attitude of saying, OK, so how do I live in the light of that rather than just going to ignore? What do I do with it? But obviously we've got quite a lot in the Bible where we have to interpret. Um, and someone asked, what about when different churches interpret things differently? For example, perhaps women in leadership or some of the sexuality questions that there are around at the moment, other, other kind of topics. Of course, this is, this is challenging, isn't it? This is, this is stuff that we have to wrestle with. So the first thing I want to say is that we're meant to be family. We're called in this together. So we have Jesus as our interpretive lens. That should always be our question. How does this, if it's Old Testament stuff, what does it, you know, how does it match with Jesus? How does it point me to Jesus? How would Jesus be the fulfillment of any of these things? And with the New Testament stuff, we're saying, how can I read it in the light of Jesus? But we also have the Holy Spirit, as we've already been sharing, God breathes, so we can go to the Holy Spirit with wisdom, which is our kind of starting point, our stance. You know, not because I don't like what it says or I think it's probably out of date. I just don't handle it. I just don't do anything with it. I reject it. My starting point is to sit with Scripture, to sit with it. And I've spent a lot of time doing that over the years as trying to be a leader in a church. Um, But we also have each other. And we're we're meant to wrestle with Scripture, to chew on it. Um, Ben Ben, the worship leader, has a load of cows who chew the cud. We're meant to chew God's Word. And we're meant to work at it together and live with it and live with it together. There'll be some technical interpretive stuff. You know, are we correctly, as I said before, working out what it did mean when it was written, exegesis? Are we now looking at what it might mean now as our hermeneutic, our understanding for what it means now? There's some technical stuff in that, of course, that we can engage in discussion and debate about. I believe in the ministry of women fully because of my reading of the Bible, not despite what the Bible says. Absolutely 100% because of my exegesis and my hermeneutic, for example. Um, But we live in it together and we live in tension, don't we? And we're listening to God with and through each other. That's why we're passionate about people being in life groups in this church. If you're from another church, join a small group. This week, our groups are going to be wrestling with some of the questions that that we've got. And I kind of go back to what I said before. I mean, with all due respect, there's a few people in the room here who know a lot more than me. But probably with quite a few others, I could come up with a longer list of difficult questions than you. (laughs) My, My faith position is until God has provided all the neat answers for all those questions... And by the way, I just know if he got to the end of my list, I just would think of some more. You know, am I going to hold off on faith? Or do I start from the stance of saying, I believe this relationship is true. And I'm going to sit with your word, God, and what you want to say to me. Tim, to use an Andrew Blytheism, we're coming into land We've only had mm-hmm. a chance to uh, just touch on things. There's some great books on the, on the bookstall. Uh, Amy Orr Ewing has written a book about um, about reading Scripture, oh, and, there, and there are some others um, yeah. on the bookstall. Um, and we'd love to try and engage with you some stuff. We're we'll trying to just give you a bit of a flavour here of, of some things. Um, just some just some very practical things, mm. um, you know, so that we're not just sort of kind of leaving it like the French um, guidance kit on on the on the thing. Just some practical things, Tim, that you would say people getting into scripture
1: yeah i mean so how how do we read the bible right so here are seven tips how to read the bible um first get a bible um <laughs> dan james is at the back going nah i don't want to do that don't want to get a bible but if you want to read the bible get a bible um if you've got if you can see near you one of the church bibles just just hold that one up for me there you go nice and that right if you don't have a bible and you want one take one of those all right, get a Bible. Um, there are some on sale at the back over there. You can download a free app called the YouVersion Bible app, which has all the like translations that you can believe are on there, um, and like load of different ways in which you can engage the Bible. So first, get uh, a Bible. Second of all, um, find, find a time and a place to read it. If you want to read a book, a good book, whether it's on holiday or in your daily life, My guess is you've got somewhere where you regularly go to read that book, away from distraction maybe, Um, maybe it's a coffee shop, Um, maybe actually you don't like reading and you'd rather listen. So get an audible Bible and do it on your commute to work, but find a time and find a place and be consistent. So first, get a Bible, second, find a time and place, Um, the third one and feel free to chip in at any point if you want to ask clarifying questions or you have brain ideas. Um, great. Uh, is uh, So third is to read one book of the Bible at a time or follow a reading plan. Okay? So sometimes I don't know where to start in this library of books. Okay? And so the danger is we look at this and go, it's like any other book. We start at the beginning, we finish at the end. I know of some people that have done that, fair play to them. Um, but pick one book. And if, if you've never read the Bible before, I can highly recommend The Gospel of Mark. Super short, it's super quick, it's not many chapters long, and you could probably read it at least within a week. But pick one book and read that. And then either um, do that or find a reading plan. Again, you can find reading plans on the book sh- stall over there. You could Google reading plans. If you download the YouVersion Bible app, there are thousands of reading plans. There's even a way in which you can basically search how you feel that day, and it will provide a a plan for you. If you feel a bit happy, there's one about joy. And if you feel a bit sad, there's one about God's faithfulness in your sadness. Um, Like literally, any Bible plan that you need is there. So, get a Bible, find a time and place, read one book at a time. Um, fourthly, like know, know the literature style that you're reading. Like, is it poetic? Is it meant to be um, sort of like historical? Is it a biography? You know, if you were to go to Waterstones tomorrow and pick Harry Potter to read the Philosopher's Stone, you're not going to take that as history because you know that it's non-fiction, right? So know the literature style of what you're reading. So, get a Bible, find a time and place, read one book at a time, or follow a reading plan. Know the literature style. Fifthly, ask lots of questions. Ask lots of questions. It's not rocket science, no, but it feels like rocket science sometimes. Ask lots of questions. Sixthly, the penultimate one, pray. Talk to God. Um, Pray before you open the Bible. A mentor of mine once said that the Bible is the only book where the author is always present. So you can ask God, like Andrew's mentioned already, like Jesus is with us as we're seeking to learn and understand this thing. So talk to God about about it. And finally, talk to friends about what you're reading. Talk to them, find some friends that would love to hear about what you're reading and what you're learning about the scriptures um, and chat. If you don't have any friends, then I don't know ask someone to be a friend that's a that's a really great question if you don't have any friends yeah okay I'm, I'm sorry about that but I'll, I'll happily meet with you and learn about what you're learning and reading in the scripture so find some friends
0: no no no, no and Sean obviously in the king's table Monday church and Friday you read the bible together uh, study the bible together with friends so